the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I see my name in shiny lights, yeah, a different city every night, oh, I, I swear, the world better prepare for when I'm a billionaire. It's time to get down to business on the weekend's number one business program. Known as the king of networking, your host, Shalom Klein, has worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and created countless jobs. So, to success, let's get down to business. And indeed, we are all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. You're on with Get Down to Business. And I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts from Get Down to Business on my website at shalomkline.com. And while you're there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter. It's going to be a jam-packed week of content and information you will not want to miss. So let's jump right in. I'm super excited to be joined by Dr. Murray Sabrin, who is an emeritus professor of finance at Rampo College of New Jersey. And uh, Sabrin was the New Jersey Libertarian Party nominee for governor in 1997 twice sought the Republican nomination for U.S. Senate, but most important for this conversation, he has a newly released book, which I'm super excited to talk about, Navigating the Boom, Bus Cycle, an Entrepreneur's Survival Guide, which I know is relevant to all of our listeners as we kick off this brand new year, 2022. We all want our businesses, our entrepreneurship dreams to be successful. So Dr. Sabrin, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Shalom, for inviting me. I really uh, appreciate the opportunity to talk about one of the most important issues facing the country today. It certainly is. And, um, you know, so I love the title, Navigating the Boom-Bust Cycle. So uh, that is uh, certainly something we are in a bubble. There is no question. And it was honestly well underway even before the pandemic struck. Uh, now, I can't believe it, two years ago. Um, so this is certainly something we're going to be living with for quite a while. So simple question, Murray. Why do we have booms and busts? Why do we have these these cycles? Well, since the Federal Reserve was created in 1913, they took it upon themselves to basically manage the uh, economy, which, of course, you can't do from a central authority. Uh, the, the collapse of the Soviet Union and the collapse of other socialist countries uh, have proven that. And uh, central banking is another form of central planning where they think they can set interest rates, short term interest rates called the Fed funds rate and uh, have a good outcome, have sustainable prosperity. But that's not been the history of the Federal Reserve. They've given they've created these boom bust cycles when if you had a totally free market, you would have basically sustainable prosperity where the economy would grow roughly three to four percent a year, depending upon how much investment is made by individuals and corporations. And so the, the boom bust cycle is really created by central bankers. And that's been the history of the past three, four hundred years. Wow. Uh, something certainly that uh, anybody that's in this uh, world of entrepreneurship, call yourself an entrepreneur, you need to uh, pick up a copy of the Entrepreneur's Survival Guide. We'll give you more information on how you could do that before the end of this conversation. But uh, again, I'm chatting with Murray Sabrin. Um, and Murray, what sectors are most affected by these cycles that we've been talking about? Well, I think it's so clear we had a housing bubble and burst. And so 
we know housing is very sensitive to interest rates. So when interest rates go down, you create a lot of interest in the housing market, a lot of speculation, as we saw during the housing bubble. And right now, we're seeing prices going through the roof and prices increasing at 20, 30, 40 percent in various metropolitan areas. In fact, not far from where I live in uh, southwest Florida and Tampa, Florida had one of the largest increases in the CPI the uh, last 12 months. And I think that's due because of the housing market being so strong there. So when you look at across the board, Florida is booming in terms of housing prices up. Uh, There are communities where prices are up 40%, 30%. It's a real bubble because what's happening, as you well know, is people from the Northeast, the upper Midwest, California, are moving to more favorable uh, tax areas and uh, open areas in terms of uh, COVID. And so they're bringing their cash and they're bringing their uh, financial resources and they're bidding up the price of housing. Uh, we've been here now for a uh, half a year and it's stunning what's, seeing, what's happening in, in Southwest Florida. It sure is. Absolutely. And um, we're going to talk a little bit about what people can, uh, can do about this um, in just a couple of minutes. But certainly, as, uh, as I've been learning in this conversation from Dr. Murray Sabrin, um, that this is something that, again, was already well underway before the pandemic struck in 2020 for everybody that wants to blame everything on, on COVID. There's, there's a lot more to it. And uh, as uh, certainly we've been talking about, if history is any guide, it's going to last until the end of the uh, 2020s as well. So, I mean, I, I'm curious, in, 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 you have a unique perspective having run for public office yourself, um, and I'm almost embarrassed by asking this question, but uh, why do policymakers keep making poor decisions? That is a terrific question. And I've pondered that quite a bit uh, in doing the research over the past, what, 45, 50 years on money and banking and financial history. There's an ideology out there that has been accepted by most economists that the central bank, the federal government can give us good economic outcomes. And that's not the history of the country. Good outcomes come about because of saving and investment which is is driven by entrepreneurs, inventors who come up with a better idea to meet consumer needs. And that's exactly what a free market does. It meets consumer needs. What the government does is uh, create a conditions which they think is going to be sustainable by taxing people, borrowing from the public, regulating the economy, printing money. And they think that's necessary in order to have good outcomes. When all the economic analysis show that uh, this does not work in the long term, and even in the short term, it has distortions, such as wage and price controls that Nixon imposed in 1971, uh, getting rid of the, uh, the last linkage between gold and the dollar. And we've had inflation skyrocket since, or prices skyrocket since 1971. We've had these inflation cycles. And we're, uh, we could be in the beginning of a multi-year fun, uh, inflation cycle. The last inflation cycle we had was in the mid-1960s to early 1980s. That was a 16-year cycle. Then we've had disinflation for 40 years. And now it looks like we're at the beginning of another cycle. How long it's going to be, nobody knows. But it's the ideology of the central planners of Keynesian economics that says that government has a vital role to play in the economy. And I reject that lock, stock, and barrel. I know you do. I know you do. Again, I'm chatting with the author of the book, Navigating the Boom Bust Cycle, an Entrepreneur's Survival Guide. It uh, was just released and it is a fantastic read. I've had the opportunity to go through not only the book, but also a recent article, uh, Lessons Learned from the 200 Years of Booms and Busts in the U.S. Economy, because this is something that uh, that is 
um, repetitive. And again, anybody that, uh, that claims to have that title of business or entrepreneur, um, you certainly need to keep up with this. So is there anything we can be doing? How can the economy become business cycle proof? It sounds like this is just a something we need to expect that hopefully we get through this cycle in the next few years. You already answered. You don't know when this is going to burst per se, um, but it's probably going to be back around. Maybe it's 20 or 30 years from now. Well, this is the whole point of why people have been calling for ending the Fed, of just abolishing the Fed and, and getting, or at least if we have the Fed, that it should adhere to its initial uh, mandate, which was to maintain the purchasing power of the dollar, which of course it hasn't done, and to smooth out the business cycle, which of course is not inherent in the free market, which is basically a Marxist concept. The reason that Marx was so anti-capitalist, anti-free market, is he thought that the business cycle was endemic to the free market, which hurts workers the most. And so he got off the rails and then Keynesian economists came in in the 20th century and sort of picked up that theme without acknowledging it. And so here we are today in the 21st century, where we just keep on doing the same thing. And what did Einstein say? When you do the same thing over and over again, that's the definition of insanity. And so we basically have financial insanity in America, in quotes, where people do the same thing, they expect different outcomes. So again, if we had a free market, if we had a gold standard, which served the country extremely well for 175 years or thereabouts, because the dollar was initially defined as a unit weight of gold. So the dollar is not a, a money in and of itself, but it represents real money, which is gold. And of course, we've had silver coinage. So again, the market determines what money should be, not a, a group of central planners in Washington, D.C. or any nation's cap or any nation's capital. Wow. Um, there's a lot that I know you've written and I know you're very passionate on this topic, uh, so much so that you've, uh, you've been, uh, again, campaigning, um, for office. I, I know of your, uh, your race, uh, your, your candidacy, uh, in 1997 as the New Jersey Libertarian Party nominee for governor. And, um, but, uh, then you switched your, uh, your focus on the federal side and, uh, running with the Republican nomination for United States Senate. So I know you're going to continue advocating, uh, passionately on this. And in our final minute remaining, and then of course, we will make sure that we share your website so people can pick up a copy of this fantastic read. Uh, I'm curious, you know, we're having this conversation at the beginning of a new year, 2022. What are some of the things that you would recommend for our business listeners that are out there? How can they um, sort of navigate these trying times? Yeah, this is, this is the key point of the book is that you really got to know your market your local market, maybe your regional market, your national market, and your international market, and see exactly where the supply chain problems could be occurring, and which, of course, they're occurring right now to some degree. But uh, one of the important points I make in the book is that we don't know exactly when the bubble will burst. I give some indication in the book on how, how to, uh, how to uh, monitor that. But the point is you should be building up cash reserves. Cash is an asset, and it's an asset that serves people well, whether in their personal lives or their business lives, because when you have cash, Warren Buffett has a has a, over $140 billion on the balance sheet of Berkshire Hathaway. So he's building up cash during this bubble, even though uh, he, he he's still invested quite heavily in the stock market and, and companies, but he has a huge cash reserve. I think he's doing that because when the next uh, cycle of uh, declines, he's going to be ready to scoop up bargains at the lower prices with all this cash hurt. So that's what I would suggest to people is as the Definitely. stock market goes up, take some profits and uh, build up a cash reserve. Definitely. Dr. Murray Sabrin, I don't want you to share all of your secrets in the newly released book, Navigating the Boom, Bus Cycle, and Entrepreneur Survival Guide. Where can people learn more about you and uh, order the book? Well, murraysabrin.com is a place to go for uh, all the different podcasts. Also, there's a flyer from the publisher that gives you the uh, code to get a 20% discount. The book is also available on Amazon. And so I'm hoping this book is 
used by entrepreneurs to Absolutely. better their businesses in the future. MurraySabrin.com. we got to squeeze in a quick break. We'll be right back and get down to business. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Welcome back to the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. I've been excited for this conversation. I'm so excited to be joined by Luke Aragoni. And Luke has uh, worked over the past 15 years in some of the top brands in the United States, building machine learning and data science programs. Even before that was a term. Um, and we're going to talk about this um, because he shared this with so many audiences around the world. And I know, Luke, you are passionate about getting people excited about uh Normally, pretty dry topics. So, Luke Aragoni, welcome to Get Down to Business. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. That's exciting to have you. So, Luke, I like to get to know the person behind the microphone. How did you get excited on uh, what? I mean, I hate to say it. I mean, I grew up in a family of accountants, so I grew up <laughs> in some pretty boring topics. But, you know, data, machine learning, that wasn't even a topic a couple of years ago. Yeah. You, you know, I think I think the 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 easiest way to get excited about this is just to understand how much of an impact it has on everyone's life. So it, it doesn't matter if you're in tech or not, or, you know, you're specifically in some kind of like hard engineering science. The reality is you're interacting with data and algorithms uh, on social media, on e-commerce sites, when you're shopping uh, pretty much in every aspect of our daily lives, we have some degree of interfacing with these, you know, smarter machines. And so I, I like to talk to people about, you know, what, what are you doing in your life and how are you integrating with these machines and these algorithms? Absolutely. So again, I'm chatting with Luke Aragoni. So um, Luke, tell us about what you and your team do each and every day. And uh, then we'll get into the sort of the future of artificial intelligence, which I know is something that uh, is something very real and very tangible in, uh, in this new year of 2022. Yeah. Well, uh, my team for the last decade or so has basically been called by uh, uh, larger brands, enterprise-sized companies uh, to try and figure out how we can make their data make them money. So sometimes it's actually to save them money. Sometimes it's to, you know, to innovate, to create something new in their space, uh, to be a leader in that space. And sometimes it's, of course, just to, you know, how do we increase profitability? Absolutely. Uh, but largely what we do is we'll go through, we'll look at data, we'll build uh, the correct machine learning model, and we'll kind of take it from end to end, including like upskilling teams on our clients. Uh, Absolutely. So uh, again, we're starting to delve into this topic of uh, again what uh, what Luke uh, Aragoni and his team at Arc are, are involved in. So um, Luke, I mean, I'll I'll start high level. What is the future of artificial intelligence in technology? All right. So there's like a there's a near future, and then there's a far future, right? And everyone loves talking about the far future, where it's you know it's generalized AI that you know can think it's like some Jetsons version of a person folding our laundry. But I think there's a, a really exciting near future. And the near future is we're able to do some pretty incredible things uh, with language data uh, and through embedding spaces. Uh, so the, the near future for AI is, you know, how do we expand our emotional capacities as a species, being able to process, you know, a whole plethora of incoming communications, right? How do I know that you know, uh, you know, my, my friend, you know, John is, is actually stressed today, that kind of stuff. And I think that that future is, is readily upon us, right? Is that we're going to enter a world where we make decisions as a human using these tools, you know, every day. Absolutely. absolutely. And uh, just earlier in the, uh, in the show, we've been talking about entrepreneurship. We've been talking about 
uh, about the small business community. So, I mean, when we talk about artificial intelligence, I can speak personally on this, that I, I always think of, oh, this is, this is what, uh, big tech is involved in. This is something that's, that's, that's for larger industries. So no doubt all of our listeners, uh, tuning in in Chicago and around the world are asking the question is, how is artificial intelligence and machine learning changing the small business or the entrepreneurial categories? Um, is there, is this something that's relevant or can they just brush it off and say, I don't need to know about this until it comes at my doorstep? No, actually, it's something that I think small businesses can get excited about because their vendors are implementing it. So it used to be that if you had a small business tool in the past, it was something that was probably pretty straightforward. You know, like Excel is an amazing tool for a small business, right? But it's very straightforward. It's what we would say it's deterministic, right? Like you put things in, they add up together, you can sort and print it. But now the tools that are coming out for small businesses are kind of nebulous. Like, what does this thing do? And being able to kind of dive into, you know, what the AI is behind this vendor, you know, what kind of special magic they're doing is important. I think the the big takeaway is if you're a small business owner and you see a vendor that has magic AI, and I'm putting that in big air quotes, you always want to kind of double click into it. You don't want to take it for granted. Like, yeah, this thing works. Oftentimes it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a state that you're going to want to explore and talk to other customers. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's definitely in a, a newer stage. Absolutely. So definitely something that everybody, regardless of size of business, needs to take very, very seriously. Uh, sometimes data science programs might look different at a large company compared to a small uh, company. And uh, again, I'm chatting with Luke Aragoni, who's quite literally the subject matter expert on this topic and has been working on this for over 15 years and has worked with some of the largest companies in the United States and around the world. So I want to go into a little bit of the uh, into the weeds over here. Um, right now, we're hearing in the news about how um, how how there's regulation um, being discussed around uh, around you know big tech when you're talking about Facebook and Google, Twitter, Apple, all, all, all the folks they're all gearing up um, for uh, for potentially some some tough conversations. How should legislators and lawmakers approach technology from your perspective? You know, it's it's an interesting um, conundrum because part of the the things we benefited from from consumers is large profitability in tech companies because they've been investing a ton into R&D. So you have basically this thing that we love, which is, you know, big tech company A comes out with a really awesome new product. Well, it's a huge risk to do all of that R&D, and they can do that because they have massive cash reserves. But at the same time, they're all very anti-competitive. And so how do you balance the idea that we need to have innovation at, you know, at a $100 billion level, like massive capital infusion risk, and at the same time, allow, you know, other smaller companies to come up. And that's, a, that's I think, a, a balance that legislatures need to understand as they try to go through it. They can't just say, oh, tech company big, let's smash it to pieces. And at the same time, they can't say, well, you know, tech company good, they make good things, right? Those are both primitive forms of the problem. They, there needs to be some kind of understanding around probably social good as well. As we talk about, you know, Facebook or Meta, uh, you know, their role in, in politics, you know, how do we, you know, how do we judge that, right? Like what metrics should we use? So I think this kind of multi-pronged attack is how we should be thinking about the problem. Um, you know, and I think right now I see it oftentimes reduced to, you know, big company bad, no, that's very helpful. Again, I'm chatting with Luke Aragoni, um, learning quite a bit about this, and um, I'm enjoying this conversation. So again, let's talk about um, you and your company. You sort of started uh, mentioning this earlier. What 
is that uh, wh- why should somebody talk to you? Why should somebody sort of uh, start to dig in and uh, and and what what's sort of the action steps that that all of our listeners should be taking after listening to this conversation? Yeah. So the the first question, oftentimes, if you have a ton of data and you really don't know what to do with it, and you think that there's some kind of um, knowledge, some prescience in the data that you can pull out, you can predict when someone will make an order. So therefore, you can go do a huge marketing spend with those people. Uh, something to those uh, to that effect, you would call my team and we would look through your data and we would kind of verify those assumptions. Like, yeah, we actually think there's something here or maybe the opposite. Like, Hey, there's no signal here. Unfortunately, either way we would confirm that. And then we would build that to production. Uh, so we would do that at very large scales, even at smaller scales. It's a matter of, do you have data and do you have a question in that data you'd like answered? Um, and there was a Very second part of that point. question. What was the second part? I forgot. I'm sorry. I, what's the action steps? And we'll, we'll oh, the start to conclude in, in, in that because I definitely want to make sure our listeners know where they can reach where they can reach you. But what's the action steps that people should be taking after this conversation? Yeah. So one, you should be cataloging the data that you do have. <clears throat> Excuse me. You should be cataloging the data you do have. So if there's, you know, if you have databases out there, Excel spreadsheets, you have some kind of log files just understanding where that's at and then calling someone you know, like me, you can go to ericor.com and then you could reach me and my team there on LinkedIn. I'm pretty available. Uh, but you know, ultimately there are other providers too, but you would want to call some kind of machine learning consultant uh, to help dive through that data. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Perfect. And uh, definitely everybody should be reaching out to, uh, to Ericor and, and the team over there. Um, but I appreciate you mentioning that there's a lot out there. But the main thing is um, my big takeaway from this conversation is that everybody should be learning more on this topic. And I know that you put out a lot of information um, regarding uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and uh, definitely everybody, big business, small business, everybody should be, uh, well, let's, let's put, it, put it this way, not ignoring the topic. So one more time, um, Luke Aragoni, can you share your website and and contact information. Yeah, you can reach me at ericor.com. That's A-R-R-I-C-O-R.com or on LinkedIn. Uh, just search Luke Aragoni. All right, fantastic. Well, I appreciate you joining us here. Luke Aragoni, thank you so much for teaching us, educating us. A great way to kick off this new year of 2022 and learning about some new topics. We're going to squeeze in some headlines, a quick break here on the show, all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. But don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Get on my website, SheldonKline.com. That's where you can download the past eight plus years of shows all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business. We've been chatting with uh, subject matter experts in uh, machine learning, uh, AI, artificial intelligence. We've been talking about some of the uh, the booms and busts in the world. But you know, the one thing that is a constant, it's tax season. It's tax season. Yes, we are officially in it. It's uh, We're in January 2022. And sure, you might want to focus on your, your New Year's resolutions. You might want to focus on maybe pushing it off until a deadline, which uh, is usually in April, although these past few years have been pushed off. But this time in January, as you start to ramp up in your business activities, it is a crucial time for you to get organized, to practice those organizational skills. Maybe that should be your your New Year's resolution. So I wanted to share some of the best tips on how you could be prepared and organized for this tax season, which is here, not going away. And you will need to file both personally, as well as uh, on the business side as well. So imagine that when you go to file your taxes, all of your information is readily available in one file. 
Well, you know what? You can make that happen. You can make that happen this tax season. 2022 can be a different sort of year by organizing your information early. I would recommend go through your records and place them in a file folder with multiple compartments in it. Label the file with tax information. Yes, in, in quotations, tax information. It'll make it easier. So when you have your appointment with your CPA um, in March or April, make sure that you've got it ready. Comb through your records, divide the files into different compartments. For example, you place all of your W-2 forms into one compartment for easy access. Another one can hold your tax deductions for the year. That way, you know in advance all of the allowed tax deductions that you have for the year. The more elaborate your taxes, the more files and information you're going to need to show. And I would recommend be prepared for that conversation so you don't need to scramble last minute. And who knows, maybe even forget something uh, at when you actually have that appointment. And many CPAs do charge by the hour. So time is money and your time is money too. Put the time in now to get all of that information ready. As I said, put your W-2 forms in one folder, maybe your tax deductions, donations in another. And yes, you need to consider the entire year. It's important to think about the entire past year. Think about anything that could be tax deductible in your day-to-day life. Yes, any good accountant is going to ask you the right questions, but this is not your first rodeo. You've been through this journey before. Make sure you take bigger events into consideration, such as a job-related moving expense, expenses relating to your job search, any fees unpaid by your employer for your job, child care for when you're working, and any potential charitable fund donations. Those all count as tax deductible expenses. You're going to need documentation, receipts, um, and uh, donation uh, validation um, that you'll be able to present to your accountant. But again, make sure you're not just focusing on the past few weeks. And I know it's tempting to want to forget the, uh, the beginning of 2021, but those expenses, they matter. And you all want to keep track of it. And you need to make sure if you uh, perhaps experience parenthood for the first time, or maybe you've had multiple children, you'll be able to enjoy tax credits um, for that. Many parents put off getting a social security number and birth certificate for the child until almost a year later. However, because of that, you could be missing very substantial tax deductions. Be sure to apply for a social security number with a social security administration office to get the full benefits of your child-related tax deductions. They could be very, very substantial. And I already mentioned this next topic earlier, but it is so important. As you go through your closet, be sure to keep all the unwanted things instead of throwing them away. These clothes, for example, can be donated to charity. Plus, you'll get a tax deduction for a charitable donation. It's one of the easiest and fastest ways that most people can get tax deductions for it without donating money. Because let's face it, some of your clothing, you know, maybe it's not the right season, you know, but if you are so fortunate that you have excess things, donate it. But again, make sure you're keeping track of those receipts, putting them into the folders that we've talked about. And if you have a withholding that's being taken out, um, you may want to think about checking it each year. This is especially true if you've recently switched incomes between the year. If you're making more money, less money, you might want to have your withholdings changed to reflect the amount necessary. Otherwise, you may wind up owing more money. Maybe it's time for a new car. If you've been contemplating getting a new car, you may want to uh, factor that into your uh, your timing um, because if you donate your old car to charity, uh, there's a sizable tax deduction. These are the things that at the beginning of the year, you should be looking at whether you've uh, 
conducted one of those activities. So we've shared a couple of uh, quick bits of advice as you get organized for tax season. The first one is get organized, collect your documents early and file them. We've talked about considering the entire year. We've talked about getting a social security number and birth certificate for any newborn children. We've talked about donating to charities. And then finally, finally, about making sure that you're reviewing your withholdings on your tax documentation. Hopefully all this advice is helpful. I'll be sharing it on my website, shalomkline.com. Um, but all of these conversations, um, including some of the upcoming conversations that we'll have um, after a quick break on Get Down to Business are all available on your favorite podcast app. So you can listen again and share it with a friend. And that's the best um, uh, compliment that you could give me is... Um, review, share, and promote uh, Get Down to Business. And speaking of promote, make sure you check out our good friend Tom Urbali from healthplanchicago.com because he's got some great information that you will want to promote as you look to save money and get organized on your health insurance, Affordable Care Act needs. Uh, time is now the beginning of the year to start to look at um, what your coverage needs to be. So again, visit healthplanchicago.com. Reach out to my good friend and supporter of Get Down to Business, Tom Urbali. Mention Get Down to Business. You will not regret it. Again, a quick break. We've got more content and information you will not want to miss. You're listening to Get Down to Business. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. I am very excited to be joined by David Bodanis, who is the author of The Art of Fairness, The Power of Decency in a World Turns Mean. I couldn't uh, agree more with that line. It is very, very true. And um, the book has uh, received some pretty amazing accolades, um, which is exciting because David is a Chicago native, has traveled the world. So he's certainly seen nice people, mean people and all that. So he knows a thing or two about this topic. David, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, sir. It's a pleasure to have you. I know that you studied math, physics, history at the University of Chicago. And, um, and so I'm just curious, what are some of your life experiences, as I look to get to know the person behind the microphone, that led to writing this book, The Art of Fairness, The Power of Decency in a World Turned Mean? I was startled when I, I've had uh, various jobs. Um, I, at, at, in Chicago, I had all sorts of part-time jobs. And then when I traveled, I worked in big organizations like Shell Oil and, and also small organizations. I worked at Oxford University and you know, a whole bunch of places. And I found that um, in many organizations, there were uh, people who were really uh, nice. The, the famous nice guy usually didn't get very far. They, they got crushed. The famous line, nice guys finish last. It's kind of true. It's a shame. It'd be lovely if it weren't the case. But if one's purely polite and really just kind and considerate to absolutely everybody, if that's all you do, other people tend to push past you. And then I thought, and then I noticed there's in almost every organization I've been in, there have been some real jerks who've made it to the top. People who bully and yell and brag and stuff and push their weight around. And the thing is, it often works. If two people are walking uh, to a taxi together and you arrive at the same time or you were slightly first, if the other person is insists on getting in, unless you throw them to the ground, they're going to win. So the bully often wins. So I, I realized that being too soft doesn't get you very far. And being a bully can get you pretty far. Um, uh, there have been some famous business heads who've been just really harsh characters. And we know that can work. But the question is, and this is what I was always driven by, is there something in between? Is there a beautiful golden mean? Is there a, uh, is there like, can you thread the needle? where you can be kind of like firm but fair? Is there a way that you can rise high up, not just as a soft high school teacher or whatever, but in really a tough competitive business world? 
where like a lot of money is at stake or a lot of resources and still kind of keep your soul. And I thought, totally. well, if I think about it and tell you my answer, they might say, yeah, yeah, very nice. Bodanis, he's one quiet writer sitting in a study. So I thought what I need to do is go into the real world. So I spent time hanging out with uh, some uh, businesses and law firms and elite military groups and surgeons and just a whole bunch of organizations. And I ended up with about five or 10 stories of people who actually succeeded that middle way. And I thought, let me write that up. And that's the book. I will tell you that, uh, David, I, I come across people all the time that, that ask the question of, can you succeed without being a jerk? And the reality is that when you look at the world, many, many of the more dominant people, uh, the people that you look at, um, you know, whether, especially when you look at, you know, when you follow the media and you see some of the big names out there, um, I don't know why I'm thinking of this, but the people that are um, firing off into, uh, into outer space right now, many of them have that massive, massive personality. And I, I love the word fairness. I think that that's mm-hmm. important. So uh, Again, um, chatting with the author of uh, of this fantastic read, The Art of Fairness. I'm chatting with David Bodanis, who uh, grew up in Chicago, and certainly um, Chicago will always be home, right? Um, um, but <laughs> but uh, I I'm particularly interested in the uh, the way that fairness plays into productivity as well. And yeah. in the intro to your book, you talk about the uh, the uh, BioNTech and the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine, which is a miracle story, a true success story of how it is saving lives and how it came together so quickly. And you actually have remarkably told that story of how fairness actually ties into it. Can you share that a little bit about that with our listeners? Sure, totally. So, um, you know, vaccines often take, traditionally would take five years or 10 years to make and test and stuff. And the famous COVID vaccines uh, were quick. They were really, really quick. And the uh, one of the first ones to market was the one uh, created by BioNTech in Germany, which later was marketed and produced by, uh, by Pfizer. And the couple behind it were a, a, a German couple of Turkish uh, background, one, 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 a married couple. One was born in Turkey. The other was a child of immigrants. And they were a blue-collar background. The, the dad of one of them had worked on the assembly line at a Ford motor plant in Germany. They were ordinary people with good values. And they were head of this small biotech startup. And there was going to be a race going on around the world starting, you know, a bit more than a year ago. Uh, uh, well, starting two years ago, once the news came out about the uh, virus in China, who was going to make the vaccine? And there are a lot of organizations that we know what we're going to do. We're going to have everybody sign non-disclosure agreements, and we're going to be brutal, and we're going to have really top-down, harsh control. It's going to be military procedures. And the thing is, if you've ever been bossed around at an office, if the boss is really powerful, you'll shut up and do what they want, but all they get coming back is resentment. On the other hand, if you have a boss who enables you and respects you, um, they can't be softies. They have to be aware that some people will take advantage. So they need you know, some auditing and controls. But if on the whole they're fair to you, what they get back when they give gratitude, when they give uh, a generosity to you, they get gratitude coming back. And gratitude is wonderful. They get gratitude and they get initiative. So that's exactly what happened in BioNTech when they were working on this uh, vaccine for the uh, messenger RNA style vaccine. The guys who are running it, the couple who are running it, were smart and educated. You cannot make a vaccine like that on your own. And the thing is, you can't make a good vaccine like that if everybody else under you simply follows your orders. You need a lot of initiative. Uh, in fact, the uh, uh, RNA is such a uh, messenger RNA is such a delicate molecule that if somebody takes their gloves off, they can contaminate it, uh, a sample in a lab. So you need all the technicians have to want to help. Maybe the technicians can find a way to clarify that. Anyway, so they got buy-in. Everybody helped them. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by this um, and uh, the power, as you say, the power of decency in a world turned mean. And it certainly is uh, producing uh, life-changing and life-saving um, uh, uh, outcomes. So again, I'm chatting with the author of The Art of Fairness, The Power of Decency in a World Turned Mean. I have to squeeze in a very quick break, but I have so many more questions for David Badanis um, when we return after this quick break on the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We'll be right back. Don't touch that dial. I'm going to share with you the best read, the best read for entrepreneurs, for small business owners, and that is The Art of Fairness, The Power of Decency in a World Turned Mean. I, uh, I preach about this endlessly to anybody who's willing to listen, that there is power of moderation. Uh, that's the word I always use, of being somewhere, as, uh, David, as David Bodanis has been saying, of being somewhere in the middle, that you don't need to be a jerk in order to be successful, but at the same time, you also don't need to be a pushover as well. So again, his book is The Art of Fairness, The Power of Decency in a World Turned Mean, and we've been talking about some of those examples, but no doubt all of our listeners, all of you amazing small business owners, entrepreneurs that are out there um, are uh, hearing about this New York Times best-selling author and wondering, what's the takeaway for me and my small business? So David, again, welcome back. What can our small business owners put into action in this new year of 2022? I think there's three things that have come up over and over around the world, and especially in the US and uh, the UK that I focus on, Three things that make businesses of almost any size, but very much the small size, work really well. And the first one is to listen without ego. You have to listen to what's going on, and you have to be willing to put your ego to the side. Yes, you might be the founder. You might have the idea for it. But there's going to be other people around you, people marketing who are on the, right on the cutting edge with customers. You have to be willing to listen to them and genuinely put your ego to the side. You know, there's that phrase you can say, oh, yes, but. No, no, don't do the yes, but. Say yes, and. Really listen. Once you finish listening, remember, you can't be a pushover. You have to make a a firm executive decision. But at that first stage, listen without ego and then make your decision. The next thing that's really important is to give by letting others give. Uh, We mentioned earlier that if, if you're like really bully, you do this, you do that. And it's true. In an emergency, you have to do that. You have to shout out orders. That's the way things work. Or if you're bleeding cash, you have to do things. But if you can give by letting others give, you're empowering them. They come back with generosity. People want to come back with good, fresh ideas. Again, at the very end, you will have to make your decisions about you know, which you uh, follow. You also have to have some street smarts. All the people are successful in this way. They, they listen without ego. They give by letting others give. They also have street smarts. They make sure that you audit properly, that nobody takes advantage. And then the third thing that works really well is to defend by not over-defending. So yeah, you have to make sure that people don't steal your uh, intellectual property or they don't mess with your distributing network. You know, you have to you have to defend the the boundaries of your company and your organization. But if you're obsessive about it, if all you do is is go about oh those awful outsiders they're all terrible, you'll never do joint ventures, you'll never do alliances, and also you'll be close to opportunities or fresh ideas from outside. Steve Ballmer re- ran Microsoft from 2000 to 2014 when it was a colossus. And when the first iPhone came out, Steve Ballmer said, this is stupid. It doesn't even have a keyboard. You can't send faxes on it. Well, it's, it turns out people are often wrong in tech. But worse than that, he made sure that nobody at all in Microsoft interacted with Apple and developed ideas for this. His successor, Satya Nadella, has taken a, a, a Microsoft from a mid-level uh, firm to right up near the top. And one of the things is he defended by not over-defending. Yes, of course, they have to be careful about lawsuits and people stealing and stuff from them. 
but he also encourages people to think the best of the outside world. What can we learn from them? Yeah, absolutely. So there's definitely is the power of decency in a world turned mean. There definitely is um, definitely substantial uh, takeaways and outcomes for everybody tuning in uh, to this program. And I hope that, um, you know, we, we passed the season of gift giving, but there's always an opportunity to make a difference in a fellow entrepreneur's life. And I would strongly encourage you to pick up a copy of this book, The Art of Fairness. After you finish reading it, share it with somebody else. Pay it forward. Be, be fair. That's what it's all about. Again, I've been chatting with David Bodanis, and I want to make sure all of our listeners know where they can get in touch with you and find a copy of the book. David, how can they reach you? Um, the, uh, for, for a book, the best one is my friend Jeff Bezos's Little Company, which you may have heard of, named, is it Mississippi? No, Amazon. So Amazon's great. It's on sale and well distributed in America. Otherwise, I have a website with the uh, shocking name davidbodanis.com. Um, I don't always respond to emails daily, but I, I respond pretty frequently. And uh, I've loved the back and forth. And I've also, I like the idea that these days, a book isn't a finite thing that ends. Readers come in with ideas which get incorporated in future editions. It's kind of a back and forth. It's really satisfying. DavidBodanis.com and uh, definitely pick up a copy of The Art of Fairness. Just look for it on Amazon. Uh, it's a great read and a great gift for fellow entrepreneurs. You've been listening to the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. What a great conversation. Get on my website, ShalomKlein.com. That's where you get done with the past eight plus years of shows um, and uh, some fantastic, fantastic lessons. We'll be back next Sunday at 6 p.m. right here on AM560, The Answer to Success. Let's get down to business. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.